Hi. Today I want to share with you some other aspects of Islam in America. Uh, but to introduce it, let me share you, with you a story um, that, um, that we experienced as a part of a ministry called Project Joseph. In the early days of Project Joseph, we were asked by uh, some others to develop a seminar explaining uh, to African-American churches how they could minister to those in the Nation of Islam. And so we began to, to put this together. And as we began to go public, we began to encounter more African-Americans who were orthodox than in the nation. And uh, to our surprise, we discovered about 90% were orthodox and very few were in the nation of Islam. And so as in the early days, we said, well, we want to learn how to minister to those in the nation of Islam. We changed our goals to ministering to those, to African-American Muslims of whatever denominational strife. Well, um, no sooner than we did that, then a, a magazine picked up on our ministry and, and did a story. And from that point on, we got flooded with phone calls and faxes and emails from all over the country from whites who were saying, well, what about us? And uh, we had no idea that there were a significant number of whites who had converted to Islam. And so we began to do a little more research, and we discovered, sure enough, this was a very significant phenomenon in America. So the Islamic scene in America involves a lot more than immigrants and a lot more than African Americans. Even whites convert uh, to Islam. That shouldn't surprise us. Um, but in the meantime, uh, soon after that, I ran into a, a scholar named Dr. Larry Poston. He is a, a professor at Nyack College uh, in New York, in, in, in New York State. And he and I collaborated on a book called The Changing Face of Islam in America. And he shared with me some very fascinating uh, information he had gotten from doing a study a few, early, a few years earlier on uh, uh, white converts to Islam. And so I'd like to share with you some of, his, some of his findings, which might give us some insight as to, again, how we can preach the gospel better, how we can minister the word of God better to people who have uh, left Christianity and become uh, Muslim. First of all, when uh, Dr. Poston uh, began his study, of white conversions to Islam, he decided to uh, do that in conjunction or in comparison to uh, studies of people who converted to Christianity. So he cited two studies. One was by a man named Edwin Starbuck, who did a study in 1900, and the second one was by Bailey Gillespie, he did a study in 1979. And both studies revealed a very similar profile. First, that the converts were about 16 at the time of their conversion. And there were so, several motivating factors that led to their conversion. And they were fears, uh, other uh, self-regarding motives, such as I wanted the approval of others, or my father died and I thought I would get to see him again. There were altruistic motives. Uh, people said things like, I felt that I must do better and, and, and more good for the world. Uh, following a moral ideal was important to many, remorse for and conviction of sin, response to teaching was another, uh, often, uh, you know, another response often given, example and intimidation was one, urging and social pressure, and finally the need to integrate the various aspects of life into a unified whole. Now of all those reasons that led to conversion to Christianity, the only reason there that was common to those who converted to Islam was the last one I mentioned, the need 
to integrate the various aspects of life into a unified whole. Now, so this applied to converts to Islam as well as converts to Christianity. Starbucks noticed that uh, women were nearly twice as likely to convert to Christianity as men. And the motivating factors which led to Christian conversion, uh, Dr. Poulsen discovered, were just about all irrelevant when it came to converts to Islam, especially re- regarding the issue of sin. So this should give us our first, hint, our first hint. The whole idea of sin may not be the first thing on their minds. Now, yes, we understand that you have to understand that you know that you're a sinner uh, and you need salvation from Jesus Christ. But to begin the journey to understand this, might take us from some other aspects. People might need to begin to hear that the Bible answers real questions, that the Bible addresses real issues. And as they begin to learn about this and as they begin to come along, then they begin to understand the whole issue of sin. I think uh, back on my own life. Uh, I grew up in the church, and uh, I, I had some very difficult uh, issues with self-esteem and all. Um, and, uh, you know, growing up as an African-American in America, the culture was constantly yelling at me, saying I was irregular, there was something wrong. I would go to the drugstore and get Band-Aids, and on the cover it would say flesh color. Well, it wasn't flesh color. Or if I go get Crayola, Crayola uh, crayon, same thing. You know, flesh color, you know, that's not flesh color. And that, that, these these messages that say you're irregular. So I... Uh, that really uh, bothered me. And I did not want to hear Christians coming at me saying, you're a no good, dirty sinner. I already knew that. I didn't want to hear that from anybody else. I got sick of it. And that's what turned me off to the church. Now, I'll just give you a story, a story in, my, in my own life. The person who set me up to hear the gospel more than anybody else was Malcolm X. And Malcolm came along with an entire different message. He said, you're beautiful. You're noble. You have great potential. Live up to it. I'd never heard that before, and I began to believe it. But unfortunately, I found myself falling short, and I couldn't figure out why I wasn't able to be this beautiful person that Malcolm was telling me to be. And I finally ran into some Christians who kind of understood some of my dilemma. And they sat me down with Romans 3.23, which says, All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And for the first time, I think I understood sin. Sin was that thing that was holding me back from being the man that I was supposed to be. And so I asked my friends, I said, well, how do I dump the sin thing? I said, glad you ask. And they began to share, me, share with me about how Jesus carried and suffered for that and paid the price. But understand this. That the context in which I came to understand what sin was, was not in the sense of being condemned, but in the sense of knowing that there was something that was keeping me from reaching my potential. And then, of course, as I came to understand that Jesus came to save me from that, and as I've grown since then, I've grown to, to, to really see how ugly and horrible sin really is. But it was a different approach, and I don't, think, I don't even think that they realized what they were doing. So once I was on the slippery slope, it was all over. The, the Holy Spirit had me. I, I wrestled for about three months, and I lost. Praise the Lord. And I think sometimes when we talk to Muslims, uh, it's not necessarily that same approach. 
But we've got to understand their core concerns. We've got to understand what they're driving at, what their goals are, how they view things, and show how the Scripture addresses those things better than anything else. So that's a little hint about something. Uh, uh, sometimes we, we uh, let me liken it to this. If you've ever read a mystery novel and you're wondering who committed the murder, and towards the end of the book you realize the butler did it. Now, if having read the book, I run out to the street yelling at the top of my voice, the butler did it. People would think I was stark raving mad. And why would they think I was mad? It's because they weren't in on the story leading up to the discovery that the butler did it. Uh, a lot of times we, we, we present the gospel and we tell people that Christ is the answer, but we never discuss questions. I remember a number of years ago, I was trying to share my faith with, with a young lady, and she was trying to pray to receive Jesus. Well, fortunately, she finally did, but she admitted to me later on, she says, I was trying to receive Christ, and I wasn't even sure if God was there. <laughs> and often we make those kind of mistakes. And so I think in the case of these, uh, these, these converts to Islam, it should reveal uh, to us certain things. Now, let me kind of give you a, a general profile. Uh, you should have in front of you a, a little diagram there about uh, converts to Islam versus con uh, converts to Christianity. Uh, first of all, let's look at converts to Christianity. As you can see, they converted at about 16 on average. And uh, some uh, went on to be very functional Christians and all. Others uh, became dysfunctional Christians, while others, starting off in functionality, began to drift away in what we would call backsliding. And when they got to around their late 20s, getting married and starting having kids, they began to realize that they needed a foundation, a sure foundation. And so they make a, 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 a determination to return to spiritual values, and they become functional Christians. And that's what Larry Poston's study, or Gillespie and Starbucks study, revealed about converts to Christianity. But now let's look at Larry Poston's data uh, that uh, he revealed about converts to Islam. As we said... Uh, and, and here it is. The, the, the typical convert to Islam uh, became dissatisfied with Christianity at about age 17. So they grew up in the church or whatever. They became dissatisfied with Christianity when they were about 17. And they went through what is often called a moratorium period where they began to explore other things. Uh, they, uh, they, 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 they have rejected Christianity, but they haven't rejected religion in general. So they explore other faiths, other spiritualities. And at about the age 29, at the age of 29 then, is when they, uh, after much conf uh, reflection and thinking, uh, is when they uh, would convert to Islam. All right? Now, um, as I said, the only thing that the two had in common was the whole idea of wanting to unify all aspects of life into one whole. And what that reveals is that we as Christians must begin to help folks to understand, and we must think in these terms too, of a biblical worldview. It's not enough just to have my passport from hell to heaven, but I, I need to begin to see the world as God sees it. I need to see the world through biblical glasses, biblical lenses. 
Well, so they convert to Islam at about age 29, and they go on to become practicing Muslims or dissatisfied Muslims. And uh, why are they dissatisfied? Because Islam has not really addressed their issues yet. Now, many of these converts to Islam said that they had always, they always felt that they had always been Muslims without even knowing it. Now, I'm not too sure if this is spontaneous on their part or does this kind of conform to Islamic teaching that says that all people born are born Muslim and we are led astray by our environment and our culture and all the rest of that. And so in a very real sense then they say that when you come to Islam, you don't convert but you revert. If you are familiar with uh, Cat Stevens, who used to be a very popular singer, and if you read his story of how, of how he came to Islam, it is a classic example of this very thing that Larry Poston po- po- pointed out. So, uh, so therefore, if you look at the, uh, the other chart here, the, the pie chart, you will see that uh, the, age, the age 29 has the largest, um, you know, most uh, people came to Islam at, at age, between age 20 and 29. Now, um, it's interesting if you look at uh, the religious background of those who came uh, to Islam, it does reveal some other interesting things. Uh, 25%, um, well, if you look, at, first of all, the majority of, of these converts uh, considered themselves former Christians. That was about 59.3%. 25% did not specify any religion at all. Uh, 43.8% of, of men, 6.3% of women. Now, women. So, then, so now this could be explained in terms of the fact that at the time, they were maybe in a moratorium period. They were drifting away from Christianity. They were looking at other things, so they didn't specify any religion. All right? So if you combine those who identified themselves from a particular denomination, Christian denomination, or those who didn't reveal any religion at all, if you combine those together, like I said, those who were in the moratorium period, you come out to about 84.3% uh, of these converts to Islam consider themselves to be former Christians. Now, of course, you've got to examine the Christianity. And the Christianity, perhaps, that they left was one that did not answer their questions or address their issues. I shared in another session that when I ask those who leave Christianity to become Muslims why they left and what were the issues or the questions that Christianity failed to address, when they share them with me, the Bible completely addresses these things, which tells us that perhaps we are not good stewards of the Word of God. The Bible tells us to study to show ourselves approved, but perhaps we don't study enough. Perhaps we don't really listen to what's going on in the world and seek God's wisdom about it. Now, according to Larry Poston's study, uh, the Islamic, um, the, uh, the those who came to Islam gave specific, a lot of them gave specific reasons why they came to Islam. And listen to these specific reasons. One, these are reasons they give. They gave. In Islam, questions are faced and answered. Another one, Islam was a supremely rational religion. Uh, Islam didn't teach irrational things like the Trinity and the Incarnation. There's nothing irrational about the Trinity, and there's nothing irrational about the Incarnation. But perhaps the way we have communicated it, or failed to communicate it, it gives the impression that it was irrational. 
another one uh, of the specific reasons was Islam's emphasis on the universal brotherhood of man. And when questions were asked, well, don't Muslims fight each other? Don't Shiites kill Sunnis and, and vice versa? Uh, what's, what's, what's all this? I mean, Muslims are, are always fighting each other. And the answer was given, yes, they do, but they're not as bad as Christians. Of course, we could be looking at some very distorted view of history here. But they, they got the sense that Islam had this universal brotherhood, all right? Uh, another factor, another specific reason given was uh, uh, they said that uh, Islam does not have a priesthood or other human mediators. You deal directly with God, they say. Well, but if you understand God in the Islamic sense, God does not directly deal with us. He is not, uh, he's not knowable. And yet they still get the sense of dealing directly with God. Now, this could, this could reflect the fact that the largest denomination mentioned of those who converted to Islam was Catholic, or let's say the plurality were Catholic. And, of course, the Catholics have the priesthood and this, this and that and the other. And so that probably reflects that. But they were impressed that Islam did not have other human mediators. Now, when we look at the reasons for conversion, and there were many other reasons given, um, let me kind of put them into broad categories. There were broad categories for why uh, these people came to Islam. And, uh, and they were as follows. First of all, the content of Islam. This would include the rationality of Islam. This would include other things like Islamic teaching, uh, so forth and so on. Tawheed, which is the, the, the oneness of God and all that. The content of Islam. That 53.2% of those who converted to Islam said that that was the reason that they came. All right, the content, the, the, just what it teaches. Now, earlier I said, or in, in, in another session I said, people don't necessarily come just because of the standards, but the content would not just be the doctrine. The content would be uh, how Islam views the world, the, the Islamic world view. Not so much their doctrine or dogma, but the fact that they have a view of things of the world, not just of religion. As a matter of fact, the Islamic concept of the relationship between life and religion, uh, life uh, is a small compartment within the larger compartment of religion. The practicality of Islam would be another reason in terms of the uh, broader categories. 28.1% came because they saw Islam as very practical, uh, very uh, rational, very uh, easy to understand. And another one was, the biggest one was, or, or a big one was, relationship evangelism. So many reported, this was 43.8%, they reported that they came to Islam because they were convinced to embrace Islam by a friend or an acquaintance who was able to articulate their faith to them in such a way that they, they saw it and believed. Now this is pretty much in contrast to what we do. We as Christians have a tendency not to uh, learn our faith well enough to articulate it. But what we will do, what we, we will tend to do is come to my church so you can hear my pastor. Or come to those crusades so you can hear so-and-so and so-and-so. But in the Islamic uh, set, uh, cases here, 
it was the individual one-on-one who began to share their faith and convince the other person to embrace Islam. All right? And then the fourth broader category that, that, that Poston discovered was in the area of ethics. They had a strong concern for ethics. Now, all these reasons, reasons are not uh, mutually exclusive. So you can, have, you can come to Islam for all four or any combination thereof. But uh, a strong concern for ethics would have something to do with uh, not only personal ethics, but social ethics. They saw Islam as the fulfillment of their desire to see justice. All right? So, so when you look at those broad categories together, you, you draw some conclusions. That the typical white convert to Islam considers him or herself a former Christian, was influenced through the witness of a friend to, who articulated the faith and persuade, persuaded them to embrace Islam, uh, was um, uh, persuaded because they saw Islam as the fulfillment of their desire for, a, for practical content in a faith that was intellectually consistent. Or the fulfillment of the desire to see the fulfillment of their concern about ethics. Now, this is amazing because if you read your Bible, the Bible is much clearer about all these things. So if they saw Islam as the fulfillment of those things, then by inference, they saw Christianity as not the fulfillment of those things. They evidently perceived Christianity as a faith void of practical content, void of intellectual consistency, and void of social ethics. And what makes matters worse is that we in the Bible-believing community uh, almost exclusively focus on private salvation. Almost, uh, it, it just makes matters worse. Yes, the fact that I have my passport from hell to heaven is very important. I am glad about that. I rejoice in that. I'm. I'm just. I just. I, I bubble over. I'm so. I'm. I got so much joy that that I am in Jesus and He is in me, and I know I'm going to go to heaven when I die. But as wonderful as that is, there was so much more to Christianity than that, and we need to begin to practice and demonstrate that. Now, it's interesting, when you look at the reasons why African Americans became Muslims, they shared those very same reasons. But in the African American case, there were additional reasons uh, regarding issues of uh, dignity, identity, and significance. Now, if things continue as they are, then we will see a dramatic increase in white Muslim converts among the 20-something to 30-something age group. And the age of the average uh, uh, white convert will sh- surely uh, will uh, certainly grow younger, uh, as has already happened among African Americans. So what this tells us here is that we need to do a better job of, of, of really communicating what the Bible says about life. It, 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 is, it is not enough. For us to walk up to somebody and say, Christ is the answer if nobody ever knows what the questions are. 
Uh, it's not enough for us to say, uh, oh, the butler did it, like uh, reading a mystery novel uh, without understanding the story that led up to it. Why did Christ have to come and die for the sins of the world? What was the issue? What were the problems? And we need to begin to share with Muslims biblical views of things that they are concerned about. And one thing will lead to another, will lead to another, will lead to another. Even in my case, I didn't want to hear that I was a no good, rotten sinner, even though I was. But when I heard it in a different context, that sin was my enemy, keeping me from reaching the potential that God gave me, then it began to make sense. Did I understand the fullness and the, the horror of sin when I became a Christian? No, I did not. I didn't understand the fullness of it. And I don't understand it now, but I understand it so much better. I think these, this study of Dr. Poston should, should give us kind of a little bit of a warning uh, to say that we need to rethink the way we preach the gospel, the way we communicate the gospel, the way we communicate the truth of the word of God, especially to those who have embraced Islam. I can testify that when I have shared the word of God and applied it to, to people's core concerns, I see results, not because I'm clever, not because I'm whatever, articulate or anything like that, but the word of God uh, has its own power. And the gospel, remember, is not just a message of God, but it is the power of God and the salvation for all who believe. Uh, people become Muslims because they're looking, a lot of them are looking for God. They're looking for righteousness. They're looking for uh, integrity. Why is it that we can't begin to understand some of these reasons? Look at these reasons and, and, and understand, like, why do they reject Christianity? And so many times when I've talked to people who have, who have gone through this, and they tell me their story, and I say, I understand that. I would have felt that way too. But let me tell you something. If Christianity was like that, do you think I would be one? Do you think I'd be a Christian? And, of course, it begs that question. Then they say, well, why are you a Christian? I say, well, now let me explain. And they begin to hear for the first time, perhaps maybe the first time, that the Word of God really does address their issues and answer their, answers their questions. I don't know how, how many times I can emphasize that. But we need to look at more studies like Dr. Poston's and others, and really understand who we're dealing with. Yes, the gospel is God's power unto salvation, but we've got to learn, as the Apostle Paul tells us, to give every questioner an honest answer as to, as to the reason for the hope that, it was with, that is within us. If you look at the way the Apostle Paul and others communicated the gospel in the, in the Bible, you will see that they cared to see what the issues were and they communicated God's word in terms of those issues. That's what Jesus did. That's what the prophets did. The prophets told all these stories 
Why? Because the people will understand the narrative and understand how it applied to them. Jesus went around telling parables all over the place because he knew that the people would understand and hear. And of course, we know that it takes the Holy Spirit to really open, open the heart, but why is it that we don't seek to, to the glory of God to communicate clearly? So, just a little tidbit there. I just wanted to share with you about uh, uh, white converts to Islam, and of course, some of these reasons apply to uh, African Americans, to Hispanics who convert. Uh, but this should should give us some real good um, insight as to how we can improve our, our our message. Well, not improve our message, but improve the way we communicate our message, so that God may be glorified as people come to the truth. Thank you.